King of glory indwell us with revival, fire, and character that it shall be so evident before men that we have been revived and we live for you and for your honor and glory that they shall see us and give you glory you our god who lives and reigns forevermore touch us O king of glory that this shall be our focus in life that our speech shall be transformed our works shall be transformed our actions O king of glory everything that we do we shall live for you and not live for our own names and for what we want people to remember about us but want to live for you for this very purpose who are created in accordance with your word in jeremiah 43 7 that says that my people who are created for my glory we pray that the legacy that we leave behind shall be one that is divine shall be one that shall honor you o king of glory and not just to speak about us. It is in the interest of the devil to create names for ourselves. It is men that walk after the devil that want to create empires for themselves. But for us, we live for you. When your son lived down here on earth and he taught his disciples how to pray, he taught them to pray. It's saying, our father who art in heaven, may your kingdom come. Make us a kingdom focused people. Make us a people that are focused on glorifying your holy name in all that we do. Forgive us when we have fallen short of this standard we worship you O lord in jesus mighty name we have prayed trusted and believed amen friends if you're one that drives cars you're going to discover that it is quite important if you go to the petrol station especially if you're um you know dealing with young ladies that probably have just started dealing with fuel it is important for you to get to help them to know whether you're driving a diesel engine car or a petrol engine car you see it's very important but to someone with an experienced ear they will surely simply listen to the sound of the engine and know that that is a diesel engine and that is a petrol engine you see that they sound different i don't know how to tell it to you but definitely if you're a driver and you know what i'm talking about you're going to be able to understand that a diesel engine is much more heavier and it has what we call a diesel knock and a petrol engine is much more smoother you see so that is how we tell the difference if you know if jackfruit is ready there is a way it smells and sounds if you hit it <laughs> it is different from that that isn't ready in other words there are attributes that differentiate particular things a woman dif looks different from a man even when there are these people that are anointed like one man that was you know masquerading to be a woman eh? for financial reasons so friends even in the same way in the spirit uh, there are ways that we should be able to tell whether we are revived or not in other words how does a, a revived person in the spirit look like in simple terms how does a man that is sold out to christ look like how does a spiritual person look like how is a man that is on fire for the lord look like today and this morning we want to look at um the attributes of a revived person or a life of revival a character of revival whatever you want to call it yeah the character of revival how do you tell that i'm living for god how do you tell that i'm on fire for the lord friends that's what we're going to do for these two days uh, starting today now um i'm going to do four points today or look at four attributes today and the first that i'm starting with is not one that is very direct but it is foundational and we must do it one a revival person is an encounter person it is a person that has encountered the lord of revival who transforms him 
And two, they are word-centered people. Revival people are word-centered people. Three, they are prayer-minded women and men. They are prayer-minded women and men. And lastly, they are driven by the spirit power of the Lord. Uh, today we shall do those four, and then tomorrow we shall wind up this teaching um, of the attributes of a revived person or the character of a spiritual person. Um, that is what we are going to be looking at today. Um, permit me to go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 is where we are at right now. The transformation of Paul or the encounter of Paul, a man that was formerly called Saul, operating in nearly the same zeal but on uh, totally different fronts, uh, as we are going to see it. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. The Bible says, Meanwhile, Saul, who was still breathing out murderous, murderous threats against the Lord's people, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priests and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there, who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, as suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they laid him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for his praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Praise the Lord. We shall hold it right there. I could briefly skip and go to verse 19. Um, the Bible says, um, in the middle, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that <laughs> Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners? To the chief priests, yet so grew more and more powerful and buffered the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Friends, that is what the Holy Spirit wanted us to see there. The story of uh, the book of um, Acts, we, we, we say it comes out well when you look at it as the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, not just the acts of the apostles, because ideally that is what it was. It is the story of the establishment of the church. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to uh, chapter 1 to uh, chapter basically 12, we see the early foundations 
and the work of uh, the Holy Spirit basically uh, through um, the ministry and life of Peter, while in uh, Acts chapter 13 to 27 or to the end, basically is um, the work of the Holy Spirit through the lives of the disciples or apostles, but basically as led by Paul. Um, that is how you can briefly uh, have a, a division of that book and for purposes of structure and direction. And as we speak right now, um, we, we see the transformation of this man called Saul. Saul was a Pharisee and um, a man out of the tribe of Benjamin. If you want to see details about his life, he gives his kind of biography in uh, Acts, uh, no, in uh, um, um, Philippians chapter 3. Now, Paul is going to tell you that was initially a Pharisee of Pharisees, uh, a man that pursued the law and also persecuted people with no equal. He persecuted people of the way, just like Acts 9 called them here in verse 2. People of the way meant nothing else than um, um, believers in Christ Jesus in those days. What happened was that they were persecuting the believers then. Why? Because when the church started and when Christ came, even before the beginning of the church, he was upsetting the status quo, the old order. You see, this um, was initially led by the Pharisees and basically Sadducees, And these are people that had risen to um, a hegemony in one way or the other, a position of excellence, not by any divine standards, but basically by their own establishment. And they had a lot of honor and respect from men. And they had a lot of privileges. Therefore, this is not something that they wanted to lose. The problem was that they taught lots of things that contravened scripture. And when Christ came, of course, being the truth, and grace in accordance with John 1 17, he laid and set the record straight. And because of that, he was an enemy of the Pharisees and the Jews. Matthew dedicates several chapters to this fact. And uh, he castigated them on several occasions using not just strong language, but the truth and right language about and against them. Now, in these early days, it is not surprising, therefore, that Paul rises. In those days, he was, he was still called Saul, rises against the people of the way, all believers. And he was arresting them, you know, battering them, and most likely killed some of them. It doesn't come out clear in the scriptures, but it appears so. And um, now, when he was on mission, on one of such errands, he encountered the Lord, or so to be specific and more, you know, uh, right, he was encountered by the Lord. The Lord encountered him. You know that many days, oftentimes you hear people say, in such and such a, a year, I gave my life unto Christ. <laughs> no, 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 no. The Lord comes unto us. Of course, we have to comply by way of uh, submission, but ideally he encounters us. The Lord encountered Saul with mighty power, with a flashing light that came from the heavens. And what happened was that his eyes were blinded for a moment. The people that were there with him had you know, the sound, but they could not see. Paul experienced both. And after that, was led into the house of Ananias. And then the Lord took charge of his life. Ananias prayed for him. And the Bible says, scale-like stuff fell off his eyes. And from that day, Saul of Tarsus was transformed into Paul, the missionary, the great man of God that went and did errands for the Lord and impacted so many people. 
uh, you know, I personally do not know of any other person in scripture that impacted um, the Bible world like Paul did. I do not even find Peter sufficient enough in terms of evangelism, you know, and touching people's lives. That is a personal view, basically going by the studies that I've done in the Bible. You, you see that? But our point is this. When Paul was touched by the Lord and transformed, uh, that is where the change came from. Initially, he worked out uh, with nearly the same zeal, but for the wrong motive and uh, on the wrong front. When you go to Philippians uh, chapter 3, you find it in his personal confession and testimony. And he says that he actually finds his former life, nothing to go by, and he, he exalts the Lord in his transformation. He actually likens it to dung or filth, uh, you know. That is what he says, speaking of his former life uh, without Christ. Um, you, you see that? When you go to Philippians um, chapter uh, 3, uh, the Bible teaches, let me take it from um, a verse, uh, let me just take it from uh, verse 3, it says, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. <laughs> if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of a Pharisee, in regard to the law of a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever we gains to me, I know I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For those who, uh, for those, eh? For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage. What? That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness on my own, but comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Friends, I want you to behold something here. Paul's life before Christ to him then, you know, in a retrospect, and basically, uh, in his misconception, he had considered it the very best thing. And he thought that he was right, righteous. But now he says, having encountered the Lord, his eyes were not only physically opened with that sign of scales falling off his eyes, but were spiritually enlightened. And this is what I want us to, to see here. And friends, there are many things that you've treasured as individuals in life. But basically, when you come to the Lord, you get to realize that many of these things that we are treasuring are like filthy rags. They are nothing compared to who the Lord is or can be in our lives. You see that? So how do you know that you have faced uh, the revival? First of all, you must have a time and a day that you remember that you encountered the Lord. You may have forgotten the day, date and time. That is okay. But there must be a moment in your life when you realize that I encountered him. It happened. This is what St. John tells the people and he says, um, he, that that we touched, that that we saw, that that we experienced, you know, this is what happened with this man in Acts, uh, in John chapter 9, uh, the blind man that Jesus healed. You see, they were telling him that Jesus was a sinner and he went ahead to tell them, Chitalo, 
it is actually very sad if you guys say that he was a sinner all i know i was blind and now i can see and i know one thing that god doesn't listen to the prayers of sinners so how possibly could it have worked out that a sinner healed me <laughs> and he was addressing teachers of the law in other words he took them back to bible college to bible school <laughs> you see that so it starts with the transformation and friends god must have encountered you at some point we are recently to be specific yesterday we are praying for someone and the lord was delivering them and setting them free and he was a man that you know was under a very powerful spell of witchcraft but he had also been practicing divination and what happened was that we are telling him as we are leading him into prayer that but you know christ you need to have a personal connection that is how it works because we are praying the name of christ and he wants not just to deliver you but to set you free in terms of your spiritual relationship with him and the man claimed and said you know what i've been born again uh, since i got this <laughs> this this my, my, my children pointing to my counterpart who is a pastor himself but the brother told me that is not born again because he has this stuff at home he's into divination you see you must you know it is one thing simply saying i'm born again and experiencing the encounter is another when you experience this encounter it is so powerful so real that your life can never remain the same you're fundamentally transformed people get to look at you and they're like something has happened with them this is what we saw paul experiencing in acts uh, chapter 9 people went right ahead and said is this the man that was coming to uh, places like this like damascus to persecute the church and yet right now what is happening he is preaching christ what a paradox and they were amazed my friend this is what happens and i pray that this shall come to pass is there a day that you know you, you encountered christ and you go right ahead and you say he touched me eh? is there a day like that he touched me when people say it is not real for you you are affirmed in the fact that he touched you and you know it wasn't just you when I remember the way that he touched me, no one in this big wide world can ever convince me that there is no God or that God has left me or something. I may falter here and there, but let me tell you one thing. I cannot lose Christ. There is no way. The way he touched me, it was so real. I feel him. I know he's here. Every single day I walk with him, he's real. That is what the encounter does, my dear friend. So the transformation or the revival starts with the encounter, my dear friend. He must touch you. You see, when men are touched by God, when women are touched by God, there's a transformation. You, 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 you understand that, my dear friend. When God came down on the day of Pentecost, it was evident when God touched uh, Uganda in the East African revival, men like um, men like uh, William Nagenda, men like Blasio Chigosi, men like Simeon Simambi, these guys went out in the fire of revival and they started the first lunch hours, they started the first overnights, they started all that stuff, all this stuff that we think we people of this generation have the, are, are the ones that are probably are doing them first. Not at all. We need to exercise humility knowing that God has been at work from the foundation of the world, reconciling men unto himself. So that is clear. Secondly, how do you tell that you're living under revival or that you're a person of the spirit that lives for the Lord? Uh, revived people or spiritual people, uh, secondly, are word-centered. They're word-centered people. They are people of the book. You see, 
that has gotten to be our other name, people of the book, eh? meaning the book standing for the Bible. Let me just take you into um, Acts chapter 6, and we shall draw it from there. Let me take it from verse 1 quickly. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews uh, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables, brothers and sisters. Uh, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now, friends, something very interesting here is happening. Now, it is not that the apostles are downplaying the ministry of um, distributing food or attending to the welfare of the saints. In any case, it was that important in those days because the church held everything in, um, you know, corporate ownership and uh, oneness was something to be, uh, you know, um, highly esteemed at that particular time. But what we see here is they're speaking of the Hellenistic Jews. Hellenism meaning the speaking of Greek. In other words, the Jews who had initially lived in the diaspora, those that were Greek-speaking, and then those that were, you know, uh, you know, um, uh, Hebrew-speaking. Uh, you know, th th that is the history. Uh, that, that that has a lot to do to do with the history of the Jews. Now there was some kind of purported discrimination, and um, this is why the church should be able to march on, even when we have these challenges of division. It should be able to march on. But you know how? By people that have been revived in the Lord, by spirit-filled people, by spiritual people. How does this happen? You see, when the matter was brought before the apostles, this is what they said. We are not going to give up the ministry of the word and prayer uh, to begin attending to tables. I've said not that it was anything less than what they would have wanted to do, but because uh, they were prioritizing things here. And they said, choose men, seven men that are filled of the Spirit, so they will attend to this. What reason do they give? We need to dedicate our time to the study of the Word and prayer. Revival people are Word-centered and prayer-centered people. Friends, you cannot expect, you know, you cannot expect uh, to be a jackfruit tree and bear guavas. You cannot. I know there are people that are going to tell me, but it is possible that you can be grafted. <laughs> yes, but there are certain trees. When you go to Israel, you can have, you can see an orange tree with, um, with, with, with lemon, with those kind of things. Yeah, uh, grapes, pears, about five fruits, but they must be of the same family. You cannot graft um, guavas on a jackfruit tree; it will never work. At the point of grafting is where that tree is actually going to get stunted. This is scientifically proven. <laughs> you understand? But of course, science, uh, the right way comes from uh, biblical and spiritual principles. So you need to understand this. Now, there are many of us that want to be spiritual but don't want to study the Word of God. Or we simply go and uh, just do what we call beeping. You simply have beeping power in as far as the Word of God is concerned. You're only beeping the Lord in as far as 
uh, studying the word is concerned, you just read a couple of verses, and the moment you're done, it's a matter of routine. You're like, oh, uh, let me run to work now. This is also sorted. You see, I told you there are five ways of studying um, comprehensively and effectively uh, benefiting from the word of God. I'll repeat them today and very briefly. One is you read, and I'm afraid that is where most of us stop. You start by reading the word. You're reading. Now, reading is um, what a tractor would, um, uh, what plowing is to a tractor in a field. You're simply going over, you know, mastering, the, doing uh, a, a track scrutinizing, you know, like these people who enjoy um, <laughs> radicals. When they do scrutinizing, you're simply going through the track to see how are things poised, you see. Secondly, you do what you call studying. Studying the word means looking for other scriptures that interpret that particular scripture that you're reading and looking for other Bible helps, like concordances, like Bible dictionaries, you know, like study Bibles and seeing the, the, the you know, how these things have been interpreted. Remember, the Bible wasn't primarily written in these languages of ours. So, Certain ones are going to be drawn uh, out clearly from the original stuff of that nature. Of course, counting on the Holy Spirit. Then three, after studying, you memorize the word of God. You see, you memorize it. When you're, you're not going to memorize the whole Bible, but when you're studying scripture, for instance, in the morning, you know, you, you, you memorize the major themes and then there are particular verses that are going to be a part of you. When that happens, you see, after memorizing, you meditate upon them the whole day. The whole day. You see, this is what the Lord means when he speaks in Psalm 1 and he says, Blessed is the man that does not dwell with um, sinners, neither does he stand in the way of um, you know, scoffers, neither does he sit on the seat of um, sinners. But his delight is the law of the Lord, and in it he meditates day and night. You hear that? And he shall be like a tree that is planted by the waters, that bears his fruit in due season. You see, and it's green, uh, it's, its leaves will never wither. In other words, they are green all through. He's a man that meditates upon the law of the Lord day and night. Now look here, when the reason many of us mess and many of us do not get the peace of God all the time and lose out and are worried and are, you know, easily tempted is because you simply read the word and end there. You don't study it. But after studying the word, you're meant to meditate upon, to memorize it. And after memorizing it, you're meditating upon it during the day. When I'm driving, I'm meditating. When I'm seated in the office, I'm meditating. You see, that kind of thing, it fills you up with the thoughts of God. Because remember, our thoughts are not the thoughts of God. But when the word of God richly dwells in our hearts, Colossians 3.16 teaches that then we are able to be filled with this strength and um, get the direction of the Lord. Finally, you apply it in your situation the whole day. So you find that you're living in the perfect tandem and fellowship with the Lord and you're not losing out on time or space with the Lord. But the problem with many of us, you're simply reading in the morning and after that you're like, oh, let me attack, let me attack, let me attack, let me go and hustle. You're hustling alone. <laughs> that is the problem. And then you bump into this temptation. You bump into that wrong decision. You're blaring away in anger. You're busting upon this one and the other. That is where the problem comes from. But when you continue focusing on the word in that way, like these people prioritized 
you know the word you have it on your bible you know you have these recordings and you're going through them at lunchtime you're you know spending some time in the word and prayer you know you're not simply eating and going into all these political conversations and profane talk and you know promiscuous talk and whatever may come around sports all the time i'm not saying that all of these are bad but we are, we are saying it's a question of priority where is your priority and how do you study the word how deeply are you rooted in the word and you know some of us think that this is the work of pastors and some of us pastors have also misled you we are your bibles and you hear people quoting their pastors instead of the bible my pastor says even when what they are saying is not necessarily right you see that focus on the word read it study it memorize it meditate upon it apply it in your life on your own not your pastor where is he right now where can you get us friends except in these teachings you see yes and one day i may have my shortcoming is that going to take you away from the lord you need to focus on the lord focus on the word with so much resilience like the bereans in acts chapter 17 they went right ahead to test whatever paul was teaching they were word-centered if you are a lot of people that can test who paul is uh, what paul is teaching you are a serious lot of people so that is what it is they are word-centered they are right-centered you know word-centered three they are men and women of prayer they are prayer-centered in in luke chapter 6 verse 12 we see jesus praying trans night i've heard people arguing against you know um <laughs> overnights but i mean it is biblical first Thessalonians 5 17 says we must pray without one seizing and jesus sets us a magnanimous magnificent wonderful example in acts chapter 6 and verse 12 he says that um one of these days jesus went out to a, mount, a mountainside to pray and spend the night praying to god when morning came he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles i want you to see this the savior and master of the world is spending time to pray because right now he was encapsulated in the flesh now he's praying for the guidance of his father he had a very important and critical assignment the day to come or the following day and what happened he went right ahead and chose his disciples men that he declared apostles you know you do well to remember that in ephesians 2 20 the bible says that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and therefore jesus was not going to simply pick uh, men that were going to mess up his mission not at all not at all that is why he committed time in prayer jesus was a man of prayer in in mark we see him praying in the morning must be mark 1 35 37 praying very early in the morning taking time away from uh, his disciples in matthew 17 we see him in the transfiguration this time he was with peter and james uh, you see he, he was with them he was a man of prayer friends prayer is what connects us is is the lifeline it is the lifeline that keeps us connected unto um, the Lord. It is the live wire. That is what I mean. If you want to be a live wire person, you want to be live. When we speak of live, it is like three-phase voltage. This is what we are speaking about. <laughs> you, you know, ah, this is what you need in the spirit. This kind of lukewarmness, look, look like what uh, one of the churches was in Revelation, does not work. 
God does not entertain that. In the book of Zephaniah, he condemns spiritual lukewarmness and you know stagnation. He says, when you're stagnated in the spirit, he, he does not delight in that. And when you turn back, he doesn't delight in that. Now, prayer is one thing that helps you to be, you know, live in the fire uh, of the spirit of God. And uh, you're walking with him and you're directed all the time. Prayer. I told you that the kind of prayer that we speak about in revival is not a momentary prayer, but is a continuous, you know, relational prayer life. You're praying in the bathroom, you're praying, you're driving as you're praying. In at work, you're praying. When you're challenged, you're praying. When you have questions, you're praying. All this stuff is, uh, you know, a prayer based and prayer led. Basically, that is how you're guided. That's how you get filled up. That's how you get new songs. That's how you get your questions answered. You know, this is what it means to walk in the spirit. It is not the thing that people claim you're speaking in tongues all the time. You hear gospel artists singing and they are singing in tongues now. That, that is against the Bible. I mean, it feels good and it wants to kind of make you special before other people because they are appearing special because you can speak tongues and they're not tongues in the first place because they're not known languages. I told you tongues uh, is uh, interpreted with a word called glossa in uh, in Greek. The tongues are a biblical, which and glossa means they don't language. So you you can feel good and feel like I'm spiritual, but that is not what it actually means. What it means is you're walking in fellowship with the Lord all the time, with the Spirit of the Lord leading you. And one way to do that is prayer. Friends, that will help you to remain revived, focused, and fiery in the spirit. Now, lastly, they are spirit-led people and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, people of revival are spirit-led people. Friends, you can never control your life in any way. You can't. Let me tell you, there are, broadly speaking, two types of people. One, the heathen or carnal people, people that are submitting to the devil, that are going to you know, if they died without salvation, they are going to end up in eternal damnation. And then believers, those are broadly the only two types of people. But to be a believer and you're without the Holy Spirit means you're going to be like a car without an engine. You are like a person without a heart. You see, basically that is what it means. You are a government without a president or a leader, a prime minister, whoever it is that is designated to have uh, that uh, topmost office in the land. That is what basically it means. <laughs> you understand that? So, um, I will not say tea without sugar because for some tea, tea with sugar is, is a danger. But you understand the point that I'm making right now. The Spirit of God is the lifeline of the church, like we said yesterday. That is why the Lord taught his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until you're filled of the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, you shall be my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the ends of the earth. That is what he taught and said. Let me just show you briefly the significance of the Spirit of God here. And then I will wind up because uh, that is just about what we have to do today. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 9, on one of his missionary journeys, Paul encountered a challenge and uh, this is what happened with him. Uh, verse 9, the Bible says uh, that... Um, uh, maybe I could take it from six. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. Uh, there they met um, 
There they met, this is Paul and Barnabas, there they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bajesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius and Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed that that is the same man as Bajesus. Yeah, I, I pray that you not be um, confused there. Um, opposed them and tried to turn uh, the proconsul from uh, the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimas and said, you hear that? Filled with the Holy Spirit. You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Of course, that happened immediately, but that is not our focus right now. Our focus is the work of the Holy Spirit through the life of Apostle Paul. Friends, you realize that Paul and neither did any other apostle or disciple work through their own might and power, just like the church is made to believe in our day. It was the work of the Holy Spirit that one transformed these apostles two and sustained them three um, empowered them for ministry and that is primarily why they received the Holy Spirit in the first place going by the promise of Christ in Acts chapter 1 verse 4 and verse 8 that is basically what it was for now I want you to listen to this you cannot be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit when Paul is teaching about the conversion of a believer he actually teaches that it happens simultaneously at the same time in first Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 you cannot be a believer and not be without the holy spirit it is impossible now i hear people who teach and they claim and say you need the baptism of the spirit meaning you believed christ but did not receive the holy spirit no way <laughs> that is impossible i mean this is the wrong teaching but i don't have time to go deep into that of course they confuse this with what we see in acts chapter 19 where uh, they are asking these uh, disciples uh, in uh, where uh, they're asking them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? But they don't know that those were the beginning days of the church. And I need time to explain that. I just want you to know that this happens simultaneously. So you cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. But secondly, there are people that have the Spirit of God in their lives, but they do not permit him to operate as God. I want you to understand that God comes both as a Lord and Savior in our lives. Now, some people prefer having him as Savior and not as Lord. <laughs> and that is impossible because you can't separate him. You just can't. But it is possible for you to be saved and you're going to heaven, but you're living a very weak and unimpacting, unfruitful life. And yet we are appointed to be fruitful. Your Jesus is on holiday in Hawaii. He's on the beach, you know cruising away resting right in your heart because you've not permitted him to operate and you're sitting at the hem of the of, of, of the throne of your heart when the spirit of god comes and takes charge of our lives he drives us he controls our lives and he reigns on our inside in friend we are meant to be led of the spirit of god all the 
time. May the Lord bless you as you put this into practice. Bless us, O Lord, even today as we pray. May we be evidently people of the Spirit, people of revival. My Father, by being people of the encounter, people that are word-centered, people that are prayer-centered, people that are Spirit-led. This is our prayer. Bless us, O Lord. Reignite that force and power within us, wherever we could have lost it. Father, in oblivion or Oh, mere complacence, drive us once again, and may we be powered by you in transformation. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. God bless you.